We'll read verses 19 to 22. Hear the word of God. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Easter. It's still Easter for us, but in our passage it's Easter. It's still that first day. Uh, and just kind of striking, isn't it, that it's the first Easter. Christ is risen from the dead, and the disciples are, uh, you know, they're huddled together in a dark room, and they're afraid. They're scared. And Easter is a time of joy. I was, I was meeting and praying with uh, some of you before the service, and we were just remarking on what a joyful celebration it was last Sunday, and that's true, and it's, we want it to be a joyful celebration this Sunday, too, but I also know myself, and I know enough of you to know that, like, we... We come, and even when there's joy and celebration, there are often um, there are often fears lurking, deep fears that we carry with us. You know, the way John says it is so interesting. He says that they were afraid of the Jews, which, I mean, I, I take to mean like they were afraid of the Jewish people in their context in that time who opposed the Jesus movement. But it is an interesting way to put it because, like, they were Jews. <laughs> and and I, wonder if, I wonder if there's something to that, that, like, so often our deepest fears aren't about external threats, but they're about ourselves. It's like, I mean, I don't know what keeps you up at night. Like, for me, it's not like I'm worried that someone's going to break in and attack me from outside. It's like I'm worried that I'm going to fail to be the father that I feel like God is calling me to be, or I'm going to fail to be a husband, or I'm going to not love God with my whole heart, um, mind, and strength. You know, like, I, I wonder if some of our deepest fears are fears that, um, that we're going to be the ones to thwart God's purposes in our lives and in the lives of the people we love. Just because of our frailty and our... Um, our brokenness. Well, I wonder what I wonder what fears you have lurking in your heart this morning. You might have to dig around, but I bet there are some fears in there. Um, fear of yourself, on some level. Well, um, you know, we we often think of Christmas as a time of gifts, the great gift giving season of the church. But uh, it turns out that in the face of all of our fears, Jesus shows up. And he just gives gift after gift. Easter gifts. Easter gifts. And so we're going to look at these gifts. Uh, just a few of them that we see in our passage. Here's the first gift in verse 19. It's the gift of his presence. You know, they're, they're huddled together in this, in this dark room um, because they're feeling afraid. But I imagine that they're also feeling ashamed probably have feelings of guilt because remember 
all of these disciples had abandoned Jesus. Like, none of them were with Jesus in his greatest time of need. This is a room full of deserters, a room full of failures. And, and that's when Jesus comes and he gives this first gift, just the gift simply of his presence. Uh, John tells us that Jesus came and stood among them. Literally, he stands in the middle of them. He makes himself central to this early Christian community. This is the first time he's seen them since the Garden of Gethsemane, when all of them, you remember, abandoned him and fled. And so, I don't know how you expect Jesus to show up. Uh, maybe with a rebuke, maybe with a reminder of their failure. But no, this is like, this is like the father's reception of the prodigal son in that parable that Jesus once told. Do you remember that? Uh, that's in Luke's gospel, but... We read there that while they were still, while, while that son was still a long way off, the father saw him, and then he just goes sprinting. Right? He, he hikes up his robe, and he, he runs as fast as his little legs will carry him. And he throws himself on his son and embraces him and kisses him. And, and I think that that's what Jesus is doing with the disciples here. You see, God doesn't wait for us to have it together before he seeks us out. I mean, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans that it was while we were enemies, while we were enemies, like that is when God reconciled us to himself by the death of his son. And so family, if God is for you like this, if God is this God who's, who sees you while you're still a long way off with your fear and your shame and your guilt and he runs and pursues you, like who can be against you? I mean, Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not even your betrayal and not even Jesus' death. I wonder what you're afraid of this morning and I wonder what guilt and shame you might carry and I wonder if you'll just receive this first Easter gift that Jesus wants to be with you. That he shares his presence with you. He welcomes you. Uh, he calls you to abide with him, to make your home with him. He places himself in the very center of, of our life together as the Christian community. And so that's the first Easter gift that we see, just the, the presence of Jesus. And here's the second one. Look at verse 19 again. Um, Jesus gives us his peace. It's the gift of his peace. The first thing he says to his disciples when he shows up is, peace be with you. Now, on the face of it, there's nothing very remarkable about that. Like, peace be with you is a very common greeting. Uh, it, w it would have been like saying, how's it going? How's it going? Something like that. But um, most commentators who I've been reading agree that Jesus is communicating something much deeper than just a typical greeting. And one of the things that suggests this is that Jesus says the phrase twice, uh, here in verse 19 and then also in 21, peace be with you. Peace. Behind that is that rich word that we've talked about before, that Hebrew word shalom. And, uh, you know, usually when we think about peace, we're thinking about inner calm, maybe something that you get by doing a lot of yoga or meditation or listening to classical music. Uh, peace means being relaxed, chilling out, no fighting. Peace is what you lose maybe when you have kids, right, Lily? <laughs> 
Peace is what you lose when you have kids. But the biblical concept of peace is like so much deeper and richer, more comprehensive, more beautiful. It, it really means like total healing and flourishing in every aspect of life, like social, physical, emotional, relational. It's a word meant to call to mind like what the world would be like when everything is as it ought to be, when everything is as it's meant to be. And so in the Bible story, like we just get little glimpses of it, right? Like in the very beginning, uh, we, we talked about the garden last week, but, but there in the garden, there was, real, there was real shalom. Like humanity's relationship with God was right and, and with themselves, with each other, with, with all of creation. There was just this, this um, flourishing. Uh, everything was as it was meant to be. But you remember they stopped trusting God's love. They turned from his grace. They break peace with God. And as soon as that peace was broken... Well, then peace begins to unravel um, all over the world. Like losing peace with God leads to losing peace entirely, not only with God, but with each other and with even the created order itself. And so, you know, the result is so much misery, right? Like conflict, war, injustice, poverty, oppression, death. Um, like we have really fallen into ruin and our world has fallen into ruin because of that loss of the original peace. But remember that throughout the Old Testament's story, there's this thread of hope, hope that God will act in history and act through his people to fix things, to, to set things right, to restore the shalom that was lost. And over time, that hope um, becomes more and more focused on like one person, one king, that, that one day this great Messiah would come and restore shalom, like he would bring the world back into harmony with God under God's good and gracious rule. And so now... In light of that big story that Jesus sees himself very much being a part of, being the climax of, Jesus shows up to his disciples after he's raised from the dead, and he says, Shalom be with you. Right? Peace be with you. So what does that mean? Well, uh, by experience, we know it doesn't mean that everything is now as it should be. I don't need to convince you that the world is still a really messed up place. Like, you know that the world out there is a messed up place, do you not? You know that you're still a messed up person, do you not? Okay. Um, so I don't have to convince you of that. And so we say Christ is risen, but we still experience, like, all kinds of brokenness out there and in here in our relationships with God and with each other. And we still wrestle with all kinds of idolatry in our hearts and all kinds of injustice in our communities and at the very same time, Jesus is saying that while things are not yet as they ought to be, um, like, something has really changed. Like, the decisive blow against everything that threatens shalom has been struck. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, um, we really have what we most desperately need. Frederick Buechner once said something like, the resurrection means that the worst thing won't be the last thing. The worst thing won't be the last thing. That's, that's a good Beekner quote. Beekner's good. Uh, like, the world's still full of all kinds of bad things. Jesus has risen from the dead, and that puts all the bad things into a completely different context. Like, death has been defeated. Satan has been cast out. Evil has been overcome. So all the bad things are just 
placed in a different framework. They don't get the final word. Now, how do you trust that? How do you move out from here after a Sunday morning church service and like actually trust that? It's different. Well, look at verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So Jesus shows up, he says, peace be with you, and then he shows them his scars. Like He's reminding them of his identity. If a stranger were to walk up to you and say, peace be with you. Uh, if a stranger were to walk up to you and say, God's purposes for the world have been accomplished. Shalom is on the way. Well, that's, that's one thing. Might not care that much. But here, it's not a stranger. It's Jesus. He's, he's talking with his disciples. He's showing them his scars. Um, th- the point is, it's the exact same Jesus who went into the tomb three days earlier. The exact same Jesus who was nailed to the cross. He's reminding them and us that this is the exact same one who has defeated death. He has done that good work. Um, it's just generally a good idea to believe people who uh, were killed and then resurrected. <laughs> I figure. Um, but more than that, you see, like he's he's showing us that he's he's reminding us that God has made our suffering His own. He's made our suffering His own. Like this is a God who knows all of the intricacies of human suffering and woe, not because he's just omniscient in some kind of abstract way, um, but because he has entered into his creation and experienced the woe himself. Like he's, he's taken the suffering onto himself and into himself. You remember that poem by Edward Shillito, um, Jesus, Jesus of the Scars, And one of the stanzas is this, the other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak, and not a God has wounds, but thou alone. See, family, this is is the one God with wounds. This is the one God who knows what it is to hurt like you hurt. He knows because he's experienced it. And, And so the promise is that Suffering and death won't have the last word, and it's this one who makes that promise. And, and, so, and so in light of that, you're just invited to trust Jesus with your wounds, with the hurt, with the broken places. Like, you are not experiencing the fullness of peace, not yet, but, but the one who shows up and says, peace be with you, is the one who has scars in his hands and in his side and in his feet. Um, this is still Emmanuel, uh, still the God with you, and he, he is the one who loves you to the point of giving up his life for you. And so, um, this is his second gift, the second Easter gift, just the gift of shalom. It hasn't arrived in all of its fullness, but it has arrived, and, it, and it's on the way in and through us. And so now, um, that leads to the next gift. Look at verse 21. This is the gift of purpose. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. If we were reading this in Latin, uh, like a direct translation would be, as the Father has missioned me, so I am missioning you. To be a missionary is to be sent. And Jesus is saying, uh, that's you. That's you. 
you have a new identity as one who I am sending, just as the Father sent me. You know, this is a pattern that we actually see throughout um, you know, the, the Bible story from beginning to end, that whenever God really encounters someone and rescues someone and, and calls someone to himself, it's not long before he propels that person out for the sake of blessing the world. And so you think of Abraham, he's called, and then now go, go out. Or you think of Moses, called and then sent. Think of Isaiah, called and sent. And now Jesus is doing the exact same thing with his disciples. He, like, here's the life-changing power of the resurrection. I'm promising to be with you, Jesus says. You can see that I'm still the God with wounds. And now he's saying, you go out into the world. He's saying, I'm sending you just as the Father has sent me. Some of you call me sometimes and you say, Kevin, does my life have a purpose? What's the point of this all? Does life have a purpose? Family, look at this. Like, try to wrap your minds around how extraordinary this is. The form of what Jesus says is, just as, so. Just as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Um, He's sending us as, as his agents and representatives in the world to continue his mission. As the Father, you, you remember John says, the Father so loved the world that he sent his only son. Remember that? You memorize that, John 3.16? Um, and we might say, now the Father and Son, they so love the world that they send like E.G. and Verona. They send Kathy and Rachel. They send Dan and Kelly. Like, the Father so loves the world that Debbie and Sophie are sent into the world for the sake of loving the world. That is extraordinary. Because look at us. It's extraordinary. Father so loves the world that he sends congregations like Christ Pres into the world. So when you hear Jesus say, I'm sending you, um, like, one question that might immediately come to mind is where? Right? Where? I love what Alan Hirsch says. He, he writes, the reality is that all, Christian, um, that all Christians are not only called to be missionaries, but have already been sent to the people they are called to reach. Christians who earn a living as teachers, accountants, store clerks, mechanics, plumbers, doctors, whatever, you are a missionary. Every Christian is invited to view his or her immediate world within the same perspective as a missionary in a foreign land, with the same perspective as a missionary in a foreign land. And so, um, of course, Jesus could call any one of us, I guess, to uproot at any time and to go off, to cross an ocean and go. And, and I figure as people who follow Jesus, we ought to be ready for that call. Um, but if you haven't heard that call, um, can you trust that Jesus is already sending you, like, into your life, right where you are here and now? Um, like, it's not an accident that you live where you do with the neighbors that you have. It's not an accident. Like, Jesus has sent you there. It's not an accident that you go to school where you go to school with the classmates that you have. Um, Jesus is sending you there. It's not an accident that you work where you work with the people that you work with. They might drive you absolutely crazy. It's not an accident. Like, Jesus has sent you to them. It's not an accident that you have the friends that you have, that you have 
the people in your life who are in your life. Um, Jesus is sending you. These are the precise places and people that God is sending us to love. And, and so you exist to be a bearer of God's um, shalom for them, for their sake. I wonder if you would just, um, <laughs> I wonder if you just close your eyes for a moment and just picture some of these people, like picture their faces. Who are these people? See, these are people, these are people to pray for. And these are people to um, reach out to and love and to serve. Um, these are people who need to know that forgiveness is on offer from the lover of their souls. Like, they, that God has reconciled the world to himself in Jesus. That God is not holding their sin above them, but he is like the father in that parable, just crying for the son to come home. They'll know it if you go, if, if you see yourself as, as one sent. So, the next time you call me and you say, hey, Kevin, does my life have a purpose? <laughs> you know, I'm going to say, well, did Jesus' life have a purpose? Was he sent with a purpose? I mean, it's the same. Just as, so, it's the same with obvious qualifications. <laughs> You're not going to die on a cross for the sins of the world. But, but it's the same. Um, just as the Father sent me, Jesus says, so I'm sending you. He's sending us to participate in this ongoing work of like humble, self-giving love. Like, oh, that's good. That's a good life. If you spend your life like that, that is a life well spent. There's one more gift, and, and uh, you're already feeling your need for it, I think. Because when you think about it, like this is very intimidating. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, saying, I'm sending you out in the same way the Father has sent me. And we might want to say, yeah, but you're Jesus. <laughs> and, and I'm Kevin. <laughs> uh, you know, in all the great stories, when people are sent out on a mission, they're given like they're they're given gifts to help them on on their journey, on their way. Given gifts to help them accomplish the mission. So, like, um, I don't know all the great stories, but I you know, Star Wars is a great story. And uh, you remember that Obi Wan Kenobi, he gives Luke Skywalker his father's old lightsaber, and that becomes like how he accomplishes his mission, at least in that first movie. Um, what are some other great stories? Lord like of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so Lord of the Rings, the hobbits, the fellowship is on, is on their journey. They meet up with the elves, and Galadriel and all the elves, they, they shower the fellowship with all kinds of good gifts. Uh, I don't know, where, where are the Tolkien nerds among us? It's like, it's like the light, there's like the light, and there's the, the cloaks, in the bread, Lemma's bread. And, and so they get all kinds of gifts to help them on the way. Um, this certainly doesn't rise to the level of a good story, but all the James Bond and uh, Ethan Hunt, Mission Impossible stories, you know, all these guys, they're given a mission, and then they get like some nifty gadget, right? Like an, ex like an exploding pen or something that's going to help them. Men in black, yes. What do, what do they get? 
I wonder if the, I wonder if there is. Um, I wonder where you just where you sense so deeply a need for like Eureka was leading us in prayer, like a, a sense that God is calling you to something. God is sending you for something, but you feel totally inadequate. You feel like you don't have what it takes. Um, you know, for our call to worship, we read the first, we read some of Ezekiel chapter 36, where, uh, where the Lord says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy in our passage. But you know, there's more. If you read into Ezekiel 37, you remember that the Lord takes the prophet to, he gives him this vision of a valley of dry bones. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Like Maybe that's what resonates with you this morning. You think, all my fear, my shame, my guilt, my failure, just feel dry dry, like kind of hopeless. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's where you are. Let's say it is that bad. Let's say it's that bad. Like a valley of dry bones. <clears throat> what hope is there in that situation? Well, um, <clears throat> let me just read some of this. You remember, do you remember this story? The the Lord says to the prophet, prophesy over the bones, say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. It's weird. <laughs> Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And... Um, you know, it's all about wind and breath. Like later he says, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then the Lord says, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. It's like, these bones are my people. These bones are my people. And Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, therefore prophesy to them and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I mean, the point, family, is that even if it's that bad, it's not that bad. This is a God who raises the dead. This is a God who, bring, who breathes life into a valley of dry bones and the bones are recreated. And so church, I figure that um, this gift of the Holy Spirit is maybe the, the best one of all and the one that we need the most. You know, I... I um, just kind of doing um, train of thought, which is never the best idea, but there's that place in Luke where, Sophie can tell me, 
It's, it's Luke where he says, look, you all, Jesus says this, he says, you all are evil. <laughs> and you still know how to give good gifts to your kids. <laughs> and, then, and then he says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks? We should ask. This is a God who loves us and who wants to um, pour his spirit into us, to fill us with new life. So, Easter gifts. What are they? You remember? Presents. I made them all start with a P's to aid in your memory. Presents, peace, purpose, power. <laughs> the paraclete, yes. And the paraclete, that's good. 